Welcome to VenikiOkwayPodcast.com, and thank you very much for subscribing and downloading our most unique and most powerful material till date, The Entrepreneur Advisor by Nikki Okoye. Entrepreneur Advisor is one of our series of exceptional, content-filled, empowering, and exhilarating podcasts designed and produced for the 21st century entrepreneur and business executive wherever they may be on the globe. Dr. Nikki Okwe, our anchor, is a serial entrepreneur, experienced business executive, and a 30-year veteran of building businesses and funding projects. He has also advised heads of states, presidents, and heads of global conglomerates on three different continents of the world, including North America, Europe, and Africa. His efforts at leading a venture from startup conception stage to billion-dollar status in less than 18 months is legendary. The Entrepreneur Advisor podcast series provides our listeners with extensive insight into the latest 21st century strategies for business development, investment capital aggregation, and global market penetration. In addition, Nikki Okoye tackles the most pertinent issues while providing tactical insight as well as strategic solutions for building sustainable enterprises over the long term. Let's sit back and listen to Dr. Okoye. If you wish to engage Dr. Nikki directly, you can follow him at Nikki Okoye on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Again, that's N-I-C-K-Y-O-K-O-Y-E on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Hi, and welcome to the Nikki Okoye Podcast. I'm going to be talking about a series of podcasts dealing with looking beyond COVID-19. The world is engaged in a battle of survival with a deadly virus. And uh, looking beyond COVID-19 is an understanding of the new world that is being shaped by the coronavirus pandemic from an economic and investment standpoint. And today I'm going to be looking at it from an African standpoint with a particular reference to Nigeria. The world has, for the first time in a generation, shut down its economy and its businesses, its entire superstructure in an effort to tackle this deadly virus. This challenge has never challenged mankind before. Uh, I'll say in recent times, I mean, we had pandemic about 100 years ago, the, the Spanish flu in 1918. And so in recent times, we've never had something like this. The coronavirus pandemic itself has done a lot more damage than the human carnage that it's leaving in its wake. So for whereas some of us uh, looking at the situation with grim and hopelessness and we're getting scared and you know a lot of folks are, are reacting in different ways i like to remind everybody especially those of you who listen to my podcast that there will be life after COVID-19 and the purpose of this podcast is for us to look at what life after COVID-19 is going to look like because the whole world is going to change now, first of all, let's talk about shutting down the economies of Africa. I always felt that shutting down the fragile economies of, of African nations was somewhat of a risky strategy. I'm not so sure Africa has what it takes to get its fragile economies back up and running once this pandemic is over. Uh, for some countries, it's going to take a few years. For others, it might take up to a decade or more just to get back to pre-COVID economic growth rates. And that could mean some huge negative consequences for livelihoods across the African continent. Economic growth, for jobs, 
for investment. All kinds of issues and parts of the economy are threatened. Many of our leaders have argued that they didn't have a choice but to shut down Africa completely. I disagree. You know, they said, oh, it's a deadly virus. Some of them made statements like, oh, you have to be alive to have an economy. Why should we worry about the economy when we're worried about life? But I would say that the reverse is also the case. You have to have an economy to be alive, right? Africa is particularly poor, especially in Nigeria. And so the kind of challenges that Europe is facing, where we copied hook, line and sinker, this shutdown strategy, are not the kind of challenges that Africa is facing. I mean, all across Europe, people are talking about how the local officials are showing up at their doorstep with food. Doorstep, they're knocking on doors and handing out food. Some uh, people I know in France got money deposited directly into their accounts. Of course, we know that in the United States, everybody's getting $1,200, every adult that, that files taxes and uh, if you're earning below $70,000 a year, then they will send you the money. And you get extra $500 for every child. So the Western world has remedies and has incentives to keep the population at home. We don't have that in Africa. And so what we have is a situation that has completely and utterly put the African country, African countries, nations at risk. Well, the decision has been taken. It's with the benefit of hindsight that we will know what did more damage to African nations and to Nigeria in particular, whether it was the virus or the biting hunger and the dislocation of industry induced by the economic lockdown. You know, when something is dislocated, Think of your leg getting dislocated. It's going to take time for it to heal. You're going to go to the hospital, they're going to put plaster on it, and they're going to tell you, don't work on that leg. You know, hang it up somewhere and keep it so that the leg can heal. The economy in Africa, especially in Nigeria, is going to pretty much follow the same pattern. We've dislocated it. We, you know, we shut it down. Now we're going to have to get it back up and running. We can't shut down forever, right? <laughs> So, so even if the virus decides to stay a year ravaging communities across the world, there is no way economies can be shut down for a year. Economies can't even shut, be shut down for more than three months. So we've already gone over a month. So we're already tinkering on very dangerous territory right now. So definitely we have to open back the economies. And when we open it back up, we're going to have to start building back you know, a lot of industries are going to be decimated, if you will. The scary reality is, whereas the informal sector depends largely on professionals, executives, entrepreneurs, operating businesses, you know, in that larger formal economy, the informal sector depends on these executives and these entrepreneurs and these are professionals to buy their goods and services. So the poor people of Africa and the poor people of Nigeria depend to a large extent on the formal economy because those are the folks that buy things in traffic or go to the corner shop and so on and so forth. Now, that formal economy is what has been shut down and is threatened and it's going to shrink 
My estimate is that it will shrink by 30% this year as a result of the, the, um, the pressure that has been put on goods and services and buying and selling. The GDP is going to, it's going to reduce substantially. And of course, there's a dovetail effect because with the GDP reduction, you have, you have currency challenges, currency will get devalued. So there's a whole chain reaction of negative consequences that we're going to experience as a result of the shutdown. But let's look at managing the COVID pandemic, first of all. So many nations and subnational governments set up steering committees, and coronavirus tax forces, if you will. However, after I looked at some of these tax forces across Africa and across Nigeria, some Nigerian state governments, the committees typically are made up mostly of um, highly educated medical professionals. Um, this is great, but in my opinion, something is missing. Um, I think that we need to take a second look at some of these tax forces for COVID-19. Uh, and I think one or two governors have figured this out and one or two presidents across the world has figured it out. I believe the chairman of the African Union has equally figured it out. But let me state it clearly. We all know that COVID-19 is a health crisis. We get that. However, COVID-19 is also an economic crisis. As many economies, including Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, across Africa, are losing badly needed revenue. Nigeria, we can expect to experience monumental job losses in the coming months. As soon as lockdown is over, people are going to get pink slips telling them that they don't have a job anymore. And these will be people in their hundreds of thousands. Now, COVID-19 is also an educational crisis. Many schools cannot teach. Millions of poor children are at home doing nothing uh, across the continent, across Nigeria. We don't even know when these children will be back in school. Now, I'm saying this is happening with the poor kids because we know that the rich kids are getting educated online. Uh, but to have an online education, you're going to need computers, you need data connections, you know, internet connections, you need power <laughs> because if you don't have power, then your computer, your data connection won't make much sense. But you also need a comfortable working environment, you know, quiet and so on. So you need a big house. Uh, this means that it, it, it lends itself more to an affluent family. So the poor folks are not getting any teaching. There's no education going on right now. Now, COVID-19 is also an investment crisis. As post-COVID-19, foreign direct investment is going to dry up across the world, especially for Africa. And there will be significant pressure on portfolio investment as well. So if you're in the stock market in Nigeria, Nigerian stock market or any of the African capital markets, you can expect that some of those markets are going to have a significant drop in demand, which could lead to a market crash. Uh, COVID-19 is also a food crisis. So many farms in Nigeria, for instance, responsible for food production are not getting attended to right now. So what do you think will happen in two, three months when we expect that food to hit our tables? There will be no food. The World Food Program predicts that Nigeria is facing going to be facing a famine in the months ahead and that maybe as many as 300,000 people may starve to death. 
caused by the food shortages. So basically what they're saying is that COVID-19 is going to kill an improportionate number by hunger as opposed to the disease. So if hunger is killing 300,000 people or expected to kill 300,000 people and the disease itself has just killed about 32 people, then we might be looking at the wrong problem. So what I'm saying basically is that if it's a health crisis, if COVID-19 is a health crisis, we get that. But it's also an investment crisis and an economic crisis. It's an educational crisis. It's a food crisis. Then maybe we need experts in all these areas to be part of these tax forces that seem to be made up of only medical personnel at the moment. Now, there's an oil price collapse as well. You know, So for Africa, there's some African countries that depend to a large extent on commodities and one of those commodities is oil and Nigeria happens to be one of the largest oil producers in Africa. So oil price fluctuations are very important to Nigeria and to Nigerian economy. And one of the most significant challenges that Nigeria is going to face will have to have to deal with in the post-COVID world is that the demand for crude oil is drying up almost everywhere, almost at the same time. So the drying up of the demand for crude has, you know, put some serious pressure, downward pressure on the price of oil. In fact, prices fell below zero uh, just a few days ago for West Texan uh, crude and for Nigerian Bonnie Light crude, it was about, you know, between eight and ten dollars. Uh, Nigerian Bonnie Light crude actually is trading at deep, deep discounts to the Benin a deep, deep discounts to Brent crude. Um, and so we know that um, in spite of the fact that we are discounting our oil at almost 50% of Brent, so we're selling at $8 or $10, but people are not even buying. So Nigeria has about 60 cargoes right now that have not been sold. And the reason people are not buying is because demand has dried up. You know, the planes are not flying, cars are not driving, factories are not producing, restaurants, buses, trains, nothing is moving in the Western world, even in Asia. And China that is still up and running to some extent is clearly not producing at the levels of the productivity they were, they were recording pre-COVID. And so their demand has also, you know, loosened up. It hasn't dried up, but it's loosened up. This is also all across North America, Asia, Australia. So demand has, you know, is taking a serious hit. And um, I think for Nigeria, we've depended on oil for too long anyway. So we're about to feel some, some pain. 90% of our foreign re revenues come from oil. And when oil prices fall, the federal government of Nigeria cannot meet its obligations. Some of these obligations include funding the states or funding its personnel salaries or personal budget, funding its capital provisions, or even providing foreign exchange for importation. Because everything you import, and Nigeria is an import-dependent economy, everything you import requires foreign exchange. You have to buy it in dollars. You can't buy anything in Naira. So if you're expecting to buy medicine or or certain kinds of processed food or or clothes or you know we do buy a lot of flimsy stuff anyway so I guess it's good that some of those things won't be available anymore but 
clearly those challenges are going to be become more manifest as soon as lockdown is over. But if crude oil prices stay low for a significant period of time, then it's going to put pressure on the value of the Naira as well, which means we're going to expect Nigeria and Naira to be devalued. Um, but I think the most significant part of the challenge will be the job losses. There's going to be a monumental job loss uh, that is hitting us, first of all, from the medical side of COVID-19, secondly, from the economic side of COVID-19, and thirdly, from the, um, the oil industry side. So the oil industry has already, uh, NAPC has already asked its oil uh, production partners to reduce the cost of producing Nigerian oil by 40%. Um, that means that they, the IOCs, the international oil companies, are going to ask their suppliers and their value chain partners, those who provide them services, to equally reduce the cost of servicing those companies or servicing those projects. That automatically means that the oil industry is going to have significant job losses over the next few months. And then of course that, you know, is a chain reaction again in the larger economy because some of those uh, folks in the job in the oil industry, they have rents to pay, so they'll stop paying the rent or they had cars they wanted to buy, they won't buy those cars anymore, or they, they, they spend money uh, on clothes, or they're taking care of certain people and in school, so they're paying school fees, and all that money is gonna stop. And once it stops, there is a chain reaction in those industries where jobs will start getting lost in other industries as well, as a result of what is happening in the oil and gas industry. Uh, and so that is the kind of uh, challenge we are going to be facing. For state governments, it's going to be almost as if Armageddon has come because um, a lot of states are not going to get any money at the next federal revenue allocation meeting in May. So they're going to be scratching their head right now as to how they're going to fund their obligations. Um, any state that doesn't have an internal, a huge, robust, and dependable internal revenue generation system will suffer. So Lagos is, is exempt because Lagos is currently doing about 35 billion, uh, 35 billion Naira a month. So significantly at the end of the year, Lagos does over 380 to 390 billion to over 400 billion a year. But this was pre-COVID. Now post-COVID, I did say that the economy is going to shrink by 30%, maybe even up to 40 So if the economy shrinks, you can expect that a lot of the revenue that Lagos is expecting, they will not get it because people will probably not have the money to pay. So they can expect some revenue drops, but it will be nowhere compared to what other states are going to experience. Let's look at the post-COVID world. It's going to be every man and every woman for himself and herself. This is going to be true for nations, for subnationals, for corporations, and to some extent for some individuals. What does this mean? Uh, first of all, let's look at foreign investment. You know, foreign investment is going to take a hit. So COVID-19 impact is affecting almost every nation of the world at the same time. So once the COVID period is over, investment would take a sentimental appeal. People are going to be typically wanting to invest in their own countries and their governments will be, you know, launching initiatives to make sure that they mobilize 
investment from their own people. So if you are an African country and you're depending on foreign investment, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen this year anyway, and to a lesser extent next year. Typically, investment capital does not get affected by sentiments, but this year is going to be different. Uh, people are going to be thinking homeland, they're going to consider the homeland first, and their governments are going to be mobilizing them and encouraging them to invest at home. Um, China is going to take a hit. A lot of bad press about China right now, bad treatment of Africans, the fact that the virus started in China, uh, folks are sharing all kinds of conspiracy theories as to whether China released the virus deliberately, whether it was manufactured, these are all conspiracies. The virus was not manufactured, it is a biological organism. We have pandemics in the world from time to time. We had Ebola just in 2014, and before that, there have been other you know, pandemics. Uh, H1N1 in um, the 2001, 2009. There has been quite a number of pandemics in the world, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say China is totally responsible. Uh, everybody's been responsible for similar pandemics in the past, but I wouldn't know. I would say that China is going to take a hit. Uh, Japan has just launched a fund to support and encourage the Japanese manufacturing companies to pull out of China. I know the U.S. will be doing the same, and uh, perhaps some companies and countries in Europe will also encourage their people to leave China. So China is going to be hit. Uh, value and supply chains will start looking at how could you, you know, manage your supply chain with suppliers in your home country? Because the pandemic has shown that if you shut the world down, then you don't get access to very important necessary supplies like medicine and food. So countries that that went through this crisis came to realize that depending on one particular country to supply you all your manufactured goods, no matter how cheap it is, might not be a very good strategy. I think there's going to be a redirection of globalization and, and how uh, globalization has been managed. A friend of mine likes to call it reverse globalization. So you have people moving back home to identify value chains and supply chains at the home base or closer to home that you could use to support industry. In some cases, if it's not there, I would expect some global companies will actually go out and build local supply chains. Then Nigeria is going to be hit again. We're going to be hit and Africa is going to be hit because of remittances. The World Bank says that remittances, which is the money that Africans in diaspora who live in the United States and Europe send home to mom and pop or brothers and sisters that pay for school fees, build houses in the village, pay for uh, unique telecommunications services and so on. This is going to be hit by 20%. So Nigeria got about $28 billion in remittances last year. So it means that you can expect to get 20% less. I think it might be more than 20% because the U.S. has just recorded over 22 million job losses in just one month as a result of this COVID-19 crisis and lockdown. And a lot of those 22 million jobs 
you know, some Nigerians are part of those numbers, and these are Nigerians who send money home. So if you are, if you don't have a job, you don't have an income, chances of sending money back to Nigeria are very slim, if not impossible, because you're going to be worried about yourself. Um, there's going to be a rise of nationalism. We saw a rise of nationalism brewing its head. I mean, Donald Trump with his uh, Make America Great Again, Think Home First, America First. And then you had Boris Johnson with his Brexit, you know, Britain has to leave Europe and Britain for Britain. So nationalist ideas have been popping up. But with the advent of COVID-19 and the crisis of supply chains and people have realized that you have to depend on yourself more, we're going to see nationalism on steroids. Countries are going to become really nationalistic and it might give rise to a nationalistic type of politics and politicians. And that could be a scary scenario because if you remember, uh, in 1929, there was a stock market crash which led to the Great Depression in the world. And that Great Depression led to the rise of nationalistic politics. And, and it also gave birth to fascism, which eventually we saw that fascism gave birth to the Second World War, because Germany was believed that you know they were the most important people in the world, and the Nazis were the master race, and so on and so forth. And you know they took on the world, and the world responded, and there was a world war. And so, with the nationalism that would rise as a result of post-COVID-19, um, I'm a bit concerned about what's coming after this. Uh, so I won't say any more because it's, it's quite unpredictable. Citizens of poorer countries in Africa will have a much harder time getting visas. Uh, many countries are going to be, you know, why do you want to come? Why do you want to come to my country? Uh, you know, you have a job, and um, everybody's in recession. So clearly, the last thing on your mind should be vacation. So you're not coming to my country for a vacation. They're not going to give you a visa. So visas are going to be a bit tight. Uh, so traveling will be less, which means the transport and tourism industry is going to be challenged. Um, but if you have skills, people are going to be looking out for guys and girls with skills. So it's just time to ramp up on skills, all kinds of skills. Uh, companies are going to be looking for skills. Even countries are going to be looking for skills. Like I said, countries are going to be looking at developing, you know, homegrown global supply chains for some of their global companies so if they need skills then that means they're going to need the skills in country so there's going to be opportunity for that and um but those it just doesn't stop at skills you need to have uh, serious productive capacity so you have to be very productive and you have to be very efficient and very effective producing world-class results world-class products and world-class services and you have to be doing it very competitively. So the whole dynamics is going to change. So this laid-back, laxy-daisy, you know, Nigerian factor, you know, it's all gone. I mean, if Nigeria continues to behave the way it has been behaving, it's going to be left behind, and it's going to have a lot of poor, you know, desperate people. Uh, so the leaders of Nigeria, both at the national and the sub-national level, you guys, you clearly need to step up. Uh, let's look at the old industries that are going to suffer. One of the industries that are going to suffer a lot, like I said, is the travel and tourism industry. 
it was very lucrative pre pre COVID. I mean, pre COVID travel boom, hotels are springing up. Hilton was opening up a new property almost on a daily basis across the world. So was Marriott. Airbnb hit valuations, billions of dollars in valuations as a hospitality company, providing bed and breakfast in homes of, of partners and people across the world. Even in Nigeria, hotel investments abound, you know, billions of dollars invested across the country in new, you know, exotic properties, new restaurants, even new airlines. Every time I go to the airport in Lagos, I, I see a new airline has popped up. Now, that also industry supported, you know, lots of events, weddings, so event planners were doing well, hostesses, young people providing hostess service, food catering, sporting events, people go out a lot, you know, parties, Owambe, uh, concerts, all that is almost gone in post-COVID. So it's gone now, I mean, while we're still on lockdown and still in the pandemic, but after the pandemic and after lockdown, it's going to take a while for those industries to get back up and running because, you know, the virus will still be with us. If there's a vaccine, then people will slowly, you know, get out of the social distancing. But if there's no vaccine, then those industries will have to wait until there is a vaccine. So if you have a wedding plan for this year, postpone it to next year or just take your your woman if you're a guy and take your husband if you're a woman go to the registry and get married if i was to get married now this would be the best time to get married for the guys and the girls because you don't have to spend any money you don't have to have a thousand guests drinking champagne and all that weddings in in africa can be quite expensive and so you get married you know just you and your husband or you and your wife and that's it and you know tell your friends you're married you can have a party later on. It doesn't have to be a big, elaborate 2,000 people party. Um, many other industries that are going to start, suffer and struggle post-COVID. These include real estate development and, and home acquisition, you know, buying homes. Nobody's going to be buying a home after this. Uh, people are going to be worried about their jobs. So real estate prices are going to come down significantly. Automobile manufacturing, nobody's going to be buying any new car anytime soon. Um, you're going to hold on to your old car, transportation, luxury goods, out of the question. Nobody is going to be talking about buying a $10,000 watch after COVID. So luxury goods will take a while before they come back. Expensive clothes, fashion and all that. But let's look at some new exciting industries. So the world is going to see the birth of a few new industries. One area that you can expect to see some very good activities in the technology space, communications technology, social distancing technology, you know, conferencing, video conferencing, and so on and so forth. Financial services industry will do well because they're going to start supporting the technology industry. Uh, they've been supporting oil and gas for so long, and uh, they've gotten their fingers burnt not once but twice. So they first got burnt in 2008 financial crisis and then now they're getting burnt again with the oil and gas industry falling to below zero oil you know and prices are gonna remain low for a good, a good while so maybe it might be a good time for financial institutions banks to start supporting the technology industry because everybody's gonna have to use technology if you're at home social distancing 
you have your computer, you have your data connection, you have your software or your application that gives you contact to work with people across the world or work with people across the country. So all those workflow, you know, interaction kind of applications are going to do so well. Uh, another industry that's going to do very well is the agriculture and the food industry. And that industry is going to break up into you know, hundreds of, of uh, sub-industries, you know, from the way we make the food to the way we process the food to the way we deliver the food. So even the logistics companies that are responsible for delivery, we're going to come up with innovative strategies and business models on how to deliver food to people and populations. And this is not just going to happen in Nigeria or Africa, but it's across the world. Uh, the medical industry will do very well, medical supplies, medical manufacturing, pharmaceutical industry, you know, drugs, manufacturer, disinfectants, you know, ointments, supplements, all these um, areas are going to do well in the post-COVID world. Nations are going to start building medical facilities because nobody wants to uh, have to depend on international uh, medical services anymore, which unfortunately many African countries have been doing, including Nigeria. But with this lockdown experience, even if you had a private jet, nobody would be giving your jet any permission to fly because the whole world was on lockdown. So if you get sick during lockdown, you have to depend on your nation's medical facilities. And that is what everybody has come to realize that we cannot do without local medical facilities anymore. So everybody wants to be self-sufficient. So the medical industry will do very well, uh, pharmaceutical industry, food and agriculture, technology, and there'll be sub subsets of these industries that are gonna do well as well. I'm gonna be discussing in detail opportunities in specific industries and then opportunities in specific regions of the world. And so uh, my next podcast, so uh, keep keep listening and at Nikki Okoye if you want to hit me up on any questions or discuss this podcast. And that's at N-I-C-K-Y-O-K-O-Y-E. I'm Dr. Nikki Okoye, serial entrepreneur and global capital investment strategist. Thank you for listening.